Our scripture reading for today comes from Jeremiah thirty-three, fourteen to 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. It's the first time I've done this on Facebook, so excuse me. used to this. Um, let's, let's pray. Dear God in heaven and on earth, we pray that your faithfulness and your reliability and who you are to us in this present moment becomes distinctly evident to us in the next little while. In your name, amen. So recently, I've had something like an insomnia I mean, it's not full-blown insomnia. It's like part-time insomnia. Um, it's just this thing where I sleep for like four or five hours, and then my body decides, well, you're not tired anymore, so you're going to be awake. Um, so for the last couple of weeks, every day, 3, 4 a.m., I wake up. I don't go back to sleep, so I get up. And this happened to be, uh, again, this past Wednesday. So like I woke up, 3.30, I laid there, rolled around for a little while, finally got up. But, you know, it was a busy day, so it made sense to get up. Um, I had a full day of work ahead of me. I had to get ready for Thanksgiving. I had to write this sermon. So I had a lot of stuff on my plate. So I got up. I started doing things. And after a bit, I decided to make my breakfast. So I prepared everything, put it in the microwave, set the timer. Timer goes, beeps. I open the door, and there's oatmeal all over the microwave. Son of a gun. And I don't know what it was about that particular moment, but it just broke me. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's just oatmeal, right? I mean, it's like the most boring food on the planet. Life goes on, but I don't know. Maybe it was just exhaustion from not sleeping enough. Maybe it was that I had a lot of things to do, and it was just one more thing that I had to deal with. Or maybe it was just that the last few years have been rough. I'm just not sure what it was, but whatever it was, I just couldn't take it, so I just stood there, gently crying and cussing by the light of the microwave door. I mean, maybe you can relate. The past few years have had more than their fair share of emotionally exhausting elements, from lockdowns to mask mandates to homeschooling to teaching homeschooling for some of you. to racial tumult, and to any number of other things that just continually sit there day after day, sucking just a little bit more life right out of you. And it's not like we can go to bed at night right now and forget that it's happening because it's way over there in some faraway place. I mean, COVID is here. It's in our community. Like With Ebola, we could all say, oh, well, that's tragic, but it's way over there in Africa. I mean, every one of us knows somebody that's gotten sick from COVID. 
And if you believe the math, then all of us know somebody that died from COVID. <sighs> Sorry. I mean, George Floyd's murder was tragic, but it was way over there in Minnesota. Manny Ellis died at the hands of Tacoma police just a few blocks from my house. I mean, I walk by the place where he died on a regular basis. I mean, just the other night, we had a shooting at the Tacoma Mall. It's all right here in our faces every single day. And I suppose given all that, maybe standing in front of the microwave crying over oatmeal makes a little bit of sense. So in our passage today, the prophet Jeremiah is reminding the people of Israel to remember that God's plan is still intact. But the question is, why is he telling them this? Why does this matter right now in that moment? See, it all started a few chapters before that, when the kingdom of Judah was defeated by the Babylonians. And the people of Israel, waves and waves of them started being exiled and transported out to Babylon. And these people found themselves in a foreign land with unfamiliar customs and food and religious practice. Every day was a reminder of everything that they had lost. If you remember any of the stories from the book of Daniel, they're a good example of what these people faced, from forced worship of foreign gods to the hiding of their faith. This was far from a guided tour of the hanging gardens of Babylon. The stress of it was all consuming. So in our passage, we have Jeremiah reminding them that this situation, it's not forever. And God will restore justice and normality, whatever that actually is. And what the people of Israel needed in that moment was hope, not just a wish, not an edge case possibility, but hope. The difference here is that hope is a verb. It's active, it has, has a goal, and requires constant tending. The other two are passive. They push the responsibility off of themselves and onto a fairy godfather in the sky who may or may not be listening. Hope is least effective when chaos seems to be the order of the day, which is why a lot of us find ourselves standing in front of the microwave crying. This is why Jeremiah is reminding the people that the thing that has been prophesied all these years is still true. I mean, Jeremiah wasn't the first person to prophesy that the coming Messiah, prophesy of the coming Messiah, and he wouldn't be the last. But in this moment, it was really important that the people know that this exile to Babylon didn't override all those previous prophecies. And Jeremiah wasn't the only person providing this sort of reassurance that God was still active and hadn't been overcome by the circumstances of the current moment. So, for example, Genesis chapter 1. Now, I know I bring up Genesis chapter 1, and for some of us who grew up in the church, it brings back a little bit of PTSD of arguments about creationism versus evolution. And I understand that. I mean, I have those scars myself. But what have I told you? That that chapter isn't at all about the creation of the universe but rather about reassuring an exiled people of the faithfulness of God. 
So I'm going to need you to go with me on this for a little bit. This is going to be a little bit of a stretch for a little while. I promise it's going to come back around. Um, so scholars tell us that the book of Genesis was written by two groups of people, J and P. Now, the letters mean things, but they don't matter right now. Um, the first group, J, wrote around the year 800 BCE. They wrote during the, the, the kingdom, during the, the, during the height of the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, while Judah was, in fact, the superpower of the world at that point. Um, for them, things were pretty good. So telling stories about how God chose Abraham and how the people of Israel conquered other lands was a big deal, and it was an easy thing to do. And so that's why most of Genesis and a lot of Exodus was written by the J group, because it shows the superiority of God, and, and it's very triumphal in, it, in its sort of approach. The other source, P, wrote during the exile to Babylon, and for them, things were pretty bad. So the peace source spends a lot of time meditating on the nature of God and what God requires of the people of Israel. It's this group, the P group, that wrote the first chapter of Genesis. A couple things to remember before I get into a little bit more on this thing about Genesis 1. First, it's liturgy. It's theological in nature. It's not historical, nor is it biological in any way in its focus. Second, it's a poem or a song. It has a repeatable cadence that helps people to remember it. You remember when you were in school, and I know every person I know at some point says, you know, if only they sang the lessons, I would remember all the stuff. Like, there's a reason for this. Our brains are built in such a way that melody sticks with us. I, I'm sure there are neuroscientists that can explain this better than I ever could. Just trust me, it's true. Um, that's why work songs exist, and that's why, I, and that's why jingles are used on commercials. So, for instance, if I say, the best part of waking up, right? So we, we remember, this is part of what we do. And the authors of Genesis 1 are relying on this bit of human um, psychology in writing this. That's why it's got a, a cadence and a, and a rhythm to it. Um, and lastly, the story of Genesis 1 is actually borrowed bits from the creation stories of the region. So a lot of Babylon, there's a lot of stuff from Babylonian, Babylonian creation myths, sorry, um, and Egyptian creation myths and some stuff from just lower Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian myth. But ultimately, the chapter itself is about God's reliability and primacy over the current events. So with all that said, Let's start at the beginning where we are told that the earth is without form and all that was there was the deep or the waters, depending on your translation, and the darkness. It's important here to note that in biblical imagery, water often represents chaos, something that is uncontrollable and destructive. So we start with chaos, the water, in order, God. And God starts by creating light, and that was good. For a long time, I got a kick out of the, the fact that God creates light before God creates the sun. I thought it was some sort of like logical misstep on the part of the writers. There's the sun is created on day four. But recently, and really recently, like last week, I've come to realize that, this, that there's a purpose for this. Light comes from God, who controls all of creation. 
It's a statement of God's power over darkness. It's a way of saying that, of showing that God's sense of order will supersede the disorder that is presently existent on earth. Then the next two days within our chapter, we have God creates the sky and the land, a way of containing the water. God is taking control over chaos and creates order, and it's good. So there's this rhythm to it. God sees chaos. God creates order. It's good. And at the end of it all, God surveys all that they created, and it's very good. The authors are reminding their followers in Babylon that the chaos and the strangeness of the day is not superior to God, and God will create order out of it. And at the end of it all, it will still be good. In a similar way, Jeremiah is telling the same people that the detour to Babylon does not change the plan that God has already set in place. In both cases, the authors are saying, you can rely on God on the God who you've already always believed in and keep the faith. Be hopeful that they will bring it back around. As I said earlier, hope is active. And in this case, the authors are encouraging their listeners to continue following the law, to continue acting according to their faith and to not be discouraged. Now, today is the first day of Advent, the season of hope. Now, when I was a kid growing up, Advent was really just Christmas pregame. We lit some candles. Usually my family lit some candles because we were the biggest family and we went to an evangelical church and somehow that made us special. Um, We lit some candles. We watched the gifts pile up under our tree. We did a pageant. And then we just got ready for the big day. And if I'm honest, and probably a lot of us, if we're honest, Advent's not much more than that to most of us right now. But recently, in the past couple of years, it's been different. You know, I mean, well, most of us haven't been exiled or forced to a different country, with some notable exceptions in the room. The past few years have felt pretty foreign, or at least not normal. So the question and is, where do we find hope? It's here that I'm supposed to tell you that we find hope in the return of Christ, and while that's very Christian-y and very devout, honestly, I don't find that very helpful right now. It's certainly not going to be a thing that stops me crying in front of my microwave. Even though it's very true. So, I'm going to encourage you to keep pushing towards the hope that you've always had. And I know that sounds a little bit like a cop-out, and it certainly feels like one to me, like, keep doing what you've been doing. And honestly, none of us need another thing added to our plate right now. We're all to the brim. But I think it's very much in line with what Jeremiah and the authors of Genesis 1 were, were doing. If hope is active, then discouragement or unhope is static and without motion. Hope is the belief in a better future. It is the thing that causes us to move towards that brighter future. The speed at which we move towards that 
future isn't important. What matters only is that we are moving forward. So for some of us, just continuing to move toward that brighter future, however slowly, is all that matters. And in this season, maybe if that's you, maybe you need to just renew your belief in that brighter future that exists in order to continue moving forward. Maybe you just need an infusion of remembrance of what you were always moving towards in the first place. And for others, maybe this is the time to instill a sense of a brighter future, to begin moving forward. Now, how this plays out for all of us is a little bit different. Maybe it's praying more or journaling more. Maybe it's attending more rallies or writing more letters to people in power or just playing with your kids or painting or woodworking. We can create order out of the chaos we find ourselves in at this moment, and it will be good. Social scientists after World War II interviewed Holocaust survivors to find out how they made it through. And what these scientists discovered was that the people who could imagine a better future outside of the camps, past the camps, were the ones that came through psychologically more intact, more healthy. Now, I'm not saying that we've, what we've gone through over the past couple of years is any way in comparison to the Holocaust. It hasn't been. But it's still been hard. And I think that we can learn from these men and women that dreaming and hoping and staying and continuing to move towards a brighter future is the only way we're really going to get through all of the strangeness of the past few years. So now, while Manla plays something that's far more eloquent than what I've just said, take some time to consider what hope is motivating you toward and how you're going to get there. Thanks.